So this morning, if you can open your Bibles to the book of Acts, a New Testament book after the Gospels, Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse uh, 42, and just a bit of context to what we are reading through in Acts here. Uh, as I shared at the beginning, Mercy Church is hoping to be instituted in just a few weeks, and so I did a 10-part series um, at Mercy uh, on the theme, Characteristics of a Thriving Church, Characteristics of a Thriving Church. And now this was a topical series, and, and so it looked at different themes in um, Scripture that uh, alluded to that point, or pointed to what a thriving church is. And today, we're going to do a two-part series, the first two sermons of that series, and it's devoted to prayer. So we're going to be looking at prayer for two sermons today. I'll get back to that uh, in the sermon. But let's begin there. Uh, Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. This is, the, this is the day of Pentecost, or shortly after. And it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one, with, one, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Well, in connection to that, let's also read uh, just a few chapters later, chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 23, and we'll read to 31, also on the theme of prayer. And being let go, this is John and Peter, the apostles who were held by the Sanhedrin, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people's plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done uh, through the name of your holy servant. And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And finally, we're going to read Acts chapter 13. I'm not going to particularly exegete Acts chapter 13. I'm sharing a topical sermon as I shared, but Acts, number, Acts 13 will also come into the service, into the sermon. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menian, who had been brought up with Herod and the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. This is the word of the Lord. Well, loved ones in our Lord Jesus Christ, choosing a theme like characteristics of a thriving church might seem a bit presumptuous in our current cultural moment. Considering the state of the church in Canada, and actually in many Western countries, would it be not more appropriate to call it characteristics of a, of a, surviving, a surviving church? In 2019, CBC, this is just before the pandemic, put out an article questioning why it matters that 9,000 churches will be closing in Canada over the next 10 years. And the reasons were mostly social, uh, the social import, the shared space, the community services that churches brought to communities, they were decrying the fact that 9,000 churches will be closing in the next 10 years in Canada. But all the same, does it matter that a Bible-believing, doctrinally sound, Christ-exalting, spirit-filled local congregation is closing, or could possibly be closing, if we're not careful? What does it mean to survive in this time, in this cultural moment? Is a question worth answering. And the only way we are going to survive as a local church here in Owen Sound, or wherever you come from, Today is by the abundant mercy of our God. I get that. But I chose not characteristics of a surviving church, but characteristics of a thriving church. Because we need to have a transcendent view of the church, a view that Christ has. I'm I'm just going to take off my blazer because this thing is pulling my blazer. My blazer is pulling the speaker here. There we go. We need to have, you say, a transcendent view of of the church, a God-given view of the church. And I believe, and you should believe with me, that our Lord Jesus does not want just to see that our church survives in this day and age, in a post-Christian culture, even though we want it to. The Lord Jesus wants his church to thrive, to thrive today, tomorrow, until he returns. He wants his church to grow numerically. He wants his church to mature spiritually. He wants us to be a shining light in this dark world every day. And to be sure, when we talk about a thriving church, we're not talking, of course, about a perfect church. A church that's free from sin. No, that's not going to happen before Christ comes back. We are, as they have said in theology, a church militant. We are in fighting mode. We're fighting against the devil. We're fighting against the sins of this world. We're, we're trying to, to make Christ known through a world that doesn't like him. But we can still be a thriving church. A church that will ultimately be victorious on the day of days. But you see, a thriving church, you understand, is founded on the truth 
that Jesus has provided for us. And there's just three ways, in fact, you could, there's more, but I've chosen three ways that you can kind of measure whether a church or whether you individually as a member of Christ's church are thriving in your, in your walk with Christ or is this church thriving? Three things, is, is the church growing? Are, are you growing spiritually? Is the church giving? Are you giving? And is the church going? Are you going in the name of Christ? So let's just start there. Are you a member, are you a member of this church or whatever church you're from? I know there are many visitors here this morning. Are you growing in your faith and in your deep affection for Christ? Have you seen over the years a growth? If you've been a Christian for a while, have you seen over the years a growth in your faith, in your love, in your affection for Christ? Are you growing? Are you giving? Have you caught hold of the vision that Christ has for his church? And as you grab hold of that vision, are you giving for the cause of Christ in this church locally, but then also abroad? Are you giving for the cause of Christ in foreign mission or foreign expansion or even in our city here? Are you giving for the cause of the growth of the gospel, both in, in, in financially but also in kind? And are you going? Are you using your spiritual gifts that God has given each one of us for the sake of the other, are you going in his name? Maybe you need to hear the call to even leave this country for his sake. Are you prepared to go for him? These are characteristics of a thriving church. It's a growing church. It's a generous church. It's a going church. But today we're going to focus on the growing part. In my series at Mercy, I spend about five or six sermons in the area of growth. Because I think it's extremely important. It kind of gives way into the other matters I just raised. And a church that's growing spiritually, and I think also numerically, is a church that's devoted to prayer. A church that's devoted to prayer. And if you work with me through the book of Acts, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of Acts this morning, the Acts of the Apostle, one of the defining characteristics of the, of the church of Acts is its prayer life. I don't know if you noticed that. 48 times that word prayer or praying or prayed uh, is used in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, in some ways, you could say, is a prayer uh, journal. The church in Acts thrived not because it was a perfect church, not at all. They had their issues. But it thrived because they were a spirit-filled people on their knees. And I'm going to get back to that a few times, so I'm just going to lay it on your hearts now for a church of Jesus Christ to thrive even today, it needs to be a spirit-filled people on their knees. That's how we're going to meet the secularism of our day. That's how we're going to stay our course. That's how we're going to mature and grow as a church. That's how we're going to see opportunities for the gospel to go out into our communities and abroad. Because we're going to be devoted to prayer. And the Lord does answer our prayers. So today I'm going to have a two-part series, and the first part of these, this two-part series is the reasons for prayer. And there's four that I'm going to provide for you that we find from the book of Acts, four reasons why the church was active in prayer. And this afternoon we're going to look at reasons why we don't pray. And there are five actually, but there could be 25 maybe. Five reasons why we don't pray, and we're going to look at that this afternoon, so you're going to have to stay tuned. 
And I'm also, just as one last point, I'm also going to move between corporate prayer and individual prayer, prayer very, very fluidly because I think you have to understand that if you have an individual prayer life, that will feed your corporate prayer life. If you don't have an individual prayer life, actually your corporate prayer life becomes vain and, and hypocritical. So we understand that when we're talking about corporate prayer, we understand that it comes from a personal prayer life uh, with the Lord. So, uh, my theme for this morning then is the characteristics of a thriving church devoted to prayer. Here are the four reasons. Number one, a church that's thriving is devoted to prayer is utterly dependent upon God's mercy to reach his vision for the church. First reason why the church of Jesus Christ needs to be in prayer is because it wants to be utterly dependent upon Christ's vision, to meet Christ's vision for the church, not ours. When I, when I started plotting this series out and, and marking the 10 sermons that I wanted to preach on characteristics of a thriving church, um, I, was, I, I first had preaching as the first characteristic of a thriving church, and I think you would all agree that that's the primary means of grace. But as I was reading through the book of Acts, I realized that it was the prayer life of the saints that was actually fueling the preaching. Now, I know they're inseparable. In some ways, it was the prayer that invited the Holy Spirit to do an awesome work of grace through the preaching. It's prayer that prepares our hearts to receive the word that's preached. It's prayer that I depend on as a pastor in increasing measure to preach every single Sunday again. And all pastors share the same burden. Every, answer, every, every sermon is an answer to prayer. It should be. So I started by looking at prayer in the following week. I went to preaching. But here we go. Verse 1, utterly depend on God's mercy. Verse, chapter 1, verse 14 says, They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his uh, brothers. Prayer was the go-to position for the disciples after Jesus left. And you can imagine that when Jesus ascended, if you were there with them, there would be a deep hurt and pain, even though he promised to come back. They were going to miss their Lord. And what's interesting is they leave that mount and go to Jerusalem. They created, on the first day it seems, a prayer meeting after Jesus ascended. That's exactly what they went to do. They just said goodbye, and they gathered together, and they were in constant prayer. They understood, and I hope you understand this morning, that you are powerless. You are absolutely powerless without prayer. They started a prayer meeting the day Jesus ascended. In chapter 2, verse 42, in, in, in the NIV version we read, they were devoted to prayer. They, they devoted themselves. Now, this is after the Holy Spirit came down. And to be devoted is to be continually steadfast with someone or something, to remain faithful in doing something. If you're devoted to something, you're going to stay the course. But the word devoted is beautiful because it carries the idea of a relationship. Someone devoted to prayer is someone hungering after God, seeking to be steadfast to the one he loves or she loves, and that's our Lord. And because they were devoted to the Lord, they were devoted to prayer. And they were united in one cause, 
They're dependent upon God's mercy to see his will done in the church. They needed to have the sense that they were doing something for the Lord, but they needed to be confirmed that it was the Lord's will that they were doing, so they were dependent upon the Lord in corporate prayer, seeking his favor, seeking his face, until he would unrelease the blessing, unleash the blessing upon them to show that he, they were doing his will, so they were dependent there. Utterly dependent upon God's mercy to see his vision fulfilled. That's the first. Here's the second reason. They delighted to honor God's purposes. They were a praying church, but connected to doing his will. They wanted to honor that will. They wanted to honor his purposes. So after Pentecost, we, we get the story that they began to preach the gospel, and, and they preached it boldly. Never, nothing has changed. God continues to want his word. Christ continues to want his word preached boldly, and so they did that. They, they made these very strong claims as they preached the gospel. Claims like salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by, why, by, by which we must be saved. Strong, bold claims like that. But not surprisingly, as Jesus warned, once you start doing something like that, there will, there will be opposition. If they hated me, they'll hate you. He said in John 15, verse 18, that's what happened. And so subsequently, as we read in chapter 4 of Acts, Peter and John were arrested. And they were interrogated. And after the interrogation, they were threatened. Don't do that again. And, and what's interesting is what follows then after their interrogation. They went back to the congregation. It seemed the congregation was active in ministry. And they shared their story. This is chapter 4. They shared their story. This is what happened. And guess what the congregation did? It went to prayer. Verse 24 of chapter 4. So when they heard that... They raised their voices to God in what, with one accord. I don't know how exactly this happened. Other translations says they prayed to God with one accord. And the reason why they prayed when they heard about the story of John and, 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 and Peter was because that was their default position. In the face of stress, in the face of uncertainty in the future, in the face of joy but also burdens, they prayed they were a spirit-filled people on their knees but what's interesting is that when they prayed they they weren't praying for protection per se oh lord stop the persecution that wasn't their prayer they weren't complaining about how hard it is to serve jesus in a difficult age when there's so much opposition that wasn't their prayer no, what they did is they quoted scripture. You see, they understood God's purposes as it expanded the, the, the salvation history, that this would happen to the church, but the church would prevail. So they quoted Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot against the Lord's anointed? Why does this happen? But what they wanted to do was to leverage the persecution and the plan and purposes of God for the expansion of the church. So they say in verse 29 of chapter 4, Now, Lord, look on their threats. And this is beautiful. And grant to your servants that with all 
boldness, they may speak your word. Look upon their threats. Deal with them. But give us boldness in the face of that. You know, when we served overseas in missions, one of the, often one of the prayer requests that came from the churches that they prayed in the church was that they always they would particularly pray for safety for us uh, in, in the foreign mission field. And, and I was thankful for their prayers for safety. But this really convicted me. So I actually encouraged the churches back home to say, you, you can pray for safety, but please don't make that the primary prayer request. Please pray that the gospel will go out in the face of threats, in the face of danger, that we'll have the boldness to keep preaching regardless of the trouble that we might face. Safety is important, yes, only for the sake that it promotes the gospel. This is their call. Pray that your servants will have boldness. And, and, and the Lord's response was an amen. God delights to hear his people pray with such boldness that he shook the house that they were staying in. That was his amen. The church has never been called, you say, to, you understand, to retreat from the present dangers that it's in. Not yesterday, not a thousand years ago, not today. The government, even in Canada, may continue to limit the freedom of Christ's church, and they're trying to find ways to do that, and somewhat successfully, I think. And the church is not to run, and to build a big fortress in the wilderness, a Manitoulin Island or something. But it's to pray. It's to pray, God, give us your servants boldness, give your church boldness, that it will continue to speak into this cultural moment with fear, I mean, with boldness, not with fear, with, with, not, with, with courage and with grace in our day. Here's a, fourth, here's a third reason that they were praying. They were praying for the impossible. One of the reasons why they prayed, the church of Jesus Christ in the time of the apostles prayed because they knew that God could do uh, the impossible. They knew that Jesus answers prayers. They had witnessed his power. Jesus had ascended. He promised his Holy Spirit to be there with them. The Spirit came. So they prayed for things that were impossible. And we get that from chapter 12, and we're just quickly moving through Acts now, but we get that from chapter 12 when we learn, sadly, that James, the brother of John, was killed by King Herod. A horrific story. And what God's people did in the face of that loss of life, and he was a noble man, he had served the Lord well in his time, but what they did was, was pray. The Lord answered their prayer, you could say, by taking his life. He was promoted. But they didn't stop praying when, when, when James was taken. They had heard at that point of time that they actually also took, that Herod also took Peter. The same Herod that just killed James was now on, on a war path. He was getting support from the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, and so he's like, yeah, I'll take, I'll take him too. And, and so what they did was, what Herod did was put him in, in, in prison and had 16 guards four groups of four, watching over him. So it was virtually impossible, save an act of God, for Peter to get out of prison. Verse 5, chapter 12, Peter was therefore kept in prison, 
And here's what the church is doing. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And the church knew that it was impossible by human logic that he'd be set free. But they trusted God enough to pray. And he heard their prayers. And he set him free. And one of the prayer warriors named Rhoda was so surprised that Peter all of a sudden just showed up at the door that she thought, I can't let this guy in. He's probably a ghost. I don't know what she thought. She tried to convince everybody that it was Peter, and they're like, no, it's probably a ghost. So even though they were praying for the impossible, they didn't think the impossible would happen. But when they did, they were blown away. You know, you, we serve a God today who hasn't changed, of course, who's in the business of making the impossible possible. I think the Church of Jesus Christ needs to be reminded of that. Our prayers, it has been said, are typically not big enough. We limit God because of our prayers. But know that God can do the impossible. That's why they prayed. Here's a fourth reason. They longed to see the gospel take root in the lives of others. The church of Jesus Christ longed to see the gospel take root in the lives of others. This is Acts 13. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said to them, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. Another reason why we pray, loved ones, and why the early church prayed, and I think the early church was thriving in this time in history, is because they had a heart for the lost. Prayer and evangelism are like white and snow. You can't separate them. Hearts that burn with love for Jesus want to see that love experienced in other people's hearts. If you don't want to see that love experienced in people's hearts, you may not have it in your own heart. People who know they are forgiven want to see that experience of forgiveness or the knowledge of truth of forgiveness experienced in other people. Why wouldn't you? A people who understands Christ's mission to disciple the nations, and that's what he said, go and make disciples of all nations. People who understand that commissioning want to partner, you could say, in Christ's mission to see that happen. He's not sending angels or minions or something. He's sending us, his servants. But all of that reality, that commissioning, that understanding that this is a gospel for the nations, for the world, is so dependent upon prayer. And the early church understood that. And, and the early church just didn't willy-nilly send out apostles and, 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 and workers in, into the vineyard. No, they sent out them out in confidence that this was the Lord's will. Because they had saturated in prayer their hearts were deeply burdened they wanted to be going according to his purposes because it's his church because it's his will to see it grow and to see the nations come to know the knowledge of Jesus Christ and they understood that for the gospel to take roots take root in anybody's soul, 
outside those who are saved right now is the work of God alone. The Spirit had to move. And that's why they prayed. And that's why we pray. And there's many more reasons I could give. Time doesn't allow. But time, in some sense, has lapsed since the early church. And we can learn much from the early church. And I encourage you, if you have time, to kind of read uh, the prayer journal sometime this week even. We're 2,000 years beyond the early church of the apostles. But I want to ask you, what, what has really changed since then, loved ones? Are we not utterly dependent on God's mercy to see his vision fulfilled in our day for the church? We understand, do we not, that the future of the Owen Sound Canadian Reformed Church is inseparably connected to Christ's vision for this church? And so we must pray. It's been said, whenever God determines to do a great work, he first sets his people to pray. Pray. And continue to pray that God's purposes will be met here and in the community beside you or the communities that you are in. Do we, understand, do we need God's help in the face of hardship? Yes. Can we expect hardship in our cultural moment? Yes. Can we expect resistance against the true claims of Scripture? We're going to expect resistance and we're starting to feel resistance. Can we expect maybe even our doors to shut one day? Possibly. Does that mean we're going to retreat? No. But it means we're going to pray. And we're going to ask God the same thing that the early church asked God. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Don't make us afraid. Come what may. Are there particular burdens you are facing as a church that seem impossible to meet? Today, I imagine there are. One of those burdens might be the calling of a pastor. That's a heavy burden. And from a human perspective, sometimes it seems impossible that God will answer this prayer. But he will. But the conversion of Owen Sound is also at your doorstep. That seems impossible. Pray the impossible. We have a gospel to share. Do we long for the gospel then to take root in other people's lives and in distant lands? I know you do. You're supporting mission. And this is, this is a burden for the church until Jesus, Jesus, Jesus comes back. And we should expend no less effort to pray for the advancement of the gospel as the early church did in their day. No less effort. And you begin right where you're planted. Here in Owen Sound, in your local community, in your neighborhoods, and, and, and as you continue to pray for the conversion of the souls around you in our communities, in our cities around us, we pray for the conversion of souls in Quebec as we support Reverend Bedard and St. Georges de Beauce, or Mission in Papua New Guinea, or wherever else you're supporting local missionaries, so the gospel may go out. We're in this together, loved ones. We're in this together. 
We pray for missionaries. We pray for ministers. We pray for our homes to be ministry centers. We pray for opportunities to engage the community around us. We pray for gospel opportunities in our field of work. We pray for, we pray for the Lord to do these things in a secret place. We pray for the Lord to do these in corporate dwellings, in the corporate church, in the, court, in the church. We, we pray that God will delight to hear our, us pray and answer our prayers even speedily. And guess what? The beautiful thing about an active prayer life for a church is this, that such a church will grow. You will first grow in your faith. As you implore God's throne and he answers prayers, those are constant confirmations to you that God is on the move. You will grow in your dependency. As you continue to pray and some doors are shut, you're going to grow in more dependency because he's the only one who can open that door. You're going to grow in your love and your passion for Christ because as you continue to commune with Christ through prayer, your hunger for him will also grow. It does. Because prayer, loved ones, is the lifeblood of a healthy, thriving church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.